You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. How is everybody doing? That's right. It's time for a little A's Cast Live. We're going to do it for an hour, just so we got a little baseball to talk about. and We'll... uh Take care of everybody who's jonesing for a little ball. And we've got a special for you today. We didn't really even know this. I had no idea when I got the call today saying, hey, the American League reliever of the month is Liam Hendricks. So we're going to have Liam Hendricks on the program coming up in moments as he has been absolutely fabulous. 2-0, 10 saves with a 1.10 ERA. And really, it's just opening day. Jason Castro got him. Other than that, he's basically been unhittable. And you think of what he's been for the A's. I mean, let's let's not forget it wasn't too long ago that Liam was DFA'd. Nobody wanted him. Goes back down to AAA, would have been Nashville. Figures it out. Comes back. Ends up becoming what we know as the opener. Ends up starting the wild card game. The very next year, last year, being in the all-star game. And now being, I mean, you have to say one of the best closers in the game. Over his, over his last 102 games including nine starts as an opener. Liam is six and four, 35 saves, and a 1.52 ERA with 51 strikeouts and opponents only hitting a buck 88 against him. I mean, really, the turnaround for Liam Hendricks, it's almost like a Disney story. So the all-star closer is going to join us and we're going to have the face of the franchise because, you know, Ray Fossey can't go that long without talking baseball. We got to get Ray Fossey on the program. It's a Wednesday. It's a Fossey day. It's Wednesday, right, Cody? Uh, that's correct. It is. And, you know, something happened today on uh, social media. Maybe we can get to it later. Uh, Vince Scully is now on Twitter. Think about that for a second. 92-year-old Vince Scully is on Twitter. Now, all this happened within a matter of moments that I saw Liam get named the AL Reliever of the Month, Vince Scully on on Twitter. Uh, there was a brouhaha in the Yankees' raise last night where a role as Chapman got suspended for three games. All this stuff happened and all around the same time uh, period of day today. So it's been an exciting baseball day so far. Okay, first of all, we have to tell Vin to get off Twitter. 
Then you are to your greatness. Vin Scully is arguably the greatest broadcaster of all time. He is so above Twitter. Can you imagine the trolls? He has no idea. He has no idea this Twitter life that we have to live in. It's awful. It really is awful. Please reach out to Vin, Cody, and tell him to get off Twitter. You have a bunch of faceless, nameless people who are just evil, who are on this platform, who should Vin should never be subjected to these people. What happens if Vin starts trolling back? That's what I want to see. <laughs> I want to see Vin troll people. That's I don't. I, don't, I mean, it'll be great to hear stories from Vin and, and all, you know just anything that he does. But if he starts trolling people back that troll him, that'd be the that'd be the biggest upset of 2020. And we've had a lot of stuff happen this year. But if Vin Scully becomes a troll on Twitter, that is probably the biggest story, in my opinion, of 2020. By the way, this series going on in Colorado between the Giants and the Rockies, Giants putting up 23 yesterday. Uh, Giants got out to the big lead today, but already Colorado is back as they now make it 7-6 to six in the seventh inning. Um, am I to believe the balls are no longer going into the humidor anymore? What's going on in Colorado? Well, not just Colorado, just everywhere. Uh, there, I, I, I did a list on my computer here of how many home runs were hit yesterday, and I'm still trying to add it all up. But it's well over 30 home runs hitting games yesterday. We saw two guys have three homer games. Marcelo Zuna did it in Boston at Fenway uh, with the Braves against the Red Sox. We saw Alex Dickerson do it yesterday. He almost had four home runs against the Rockies in Coors Field. And then we had a two-homer game from former A, Ronaldo Nunez, of the Baltimore Orioles. So we've seen a lot of home runs hit yesterday. A lot of games that had double-digit runs scored. Uh, I don't know if it's just Colorado. Are we still believing that the baseball is in juice in 2020? Because I, I, I've seen a lot of games. There's a lot of home runs. And uh, Dickerson's first home run went 480 feet in Colorado. It wasn't that cheapy that won over the wall. It was upper deck at Coors Field. Hey, the ball is juiced. The ball is going to be juiced. And it's not changing. Like, I don't know how many times I have to keep saying on this program, the changes that have been made in the game are changes you're going to have to deal with. That's just the bottom line. The toothpaste is out of the tube. They're not going to go back. You really think that all of a sudden we're going to wake up at some point here this offseason, they're going to say that the National League is not going to have the DH? Sorry, it's here to stay. The runner on second base, extra innings, it's here to stay. This is not something like, I know like the old broadcasters and the old media guys wanted to say, well, as long as it's just this year, try it out. No. This is here to stay. They've wanted to do this. They may have came into 2020 with, ah, we're going to try some things. No, this is what they really wanted to do. And by the way, it's working. And one of the fun things about yesterday's show was to hear Ken Korak, and I said it, two, two guys are as old school as old school can get. The Hall of Famer Jason Stark, longtime writer in Philadelphia, does a great job for the athletic now. You see him on MLB Network. He is as old school. And Ken Korak. And both of them now have come out and said, 
you know what? I kind of like this extra innings deal. So we've had two guys I thought we could never change. And once they change, you know, this thing's here to stay. So um, just get used to it. The game is evolving like the other sports have. There's been changes in the NFL and hockey and the NBA. And baseball is finally making changes that hopefully are going to be for the good of the game. And we actually talked about the extra innings. You know, we don't want extra inning games at all. Okay, I know people, some people are like, why don't we do like one a year, two a year, whatever. Um, The reality is it's not good financially for the teams. So you don't want to have it unless you have to have it. And now we're looking at, because of being out with COVID, we're now looking at, so we got what? Tuesday, the 8th, we're going to have a doubleheader. We got the 12th on Saturday, going to be a doubleheader. And the 14th in September, going to be against Seattle, a doubleheader. So we have, what, three doubleheaders on the way coming up here in just about, uh, it's going to be 8th, 12th, and 14th. And the 26th. That's also a doubleheader Saturday. So you got four doubleheaders coming up. Which is the last series of the weekend. Crazy times, but you know what? You got to deal with it. I mean, it's the bottom line. Everybody's going through it. Everybody's having to play doubleheaders. Everybody's been affected. They've been affected in the East. They've been affected in the Central. And now you're seeing uh, it being uh, affected in, in, in the West. But if you take the mentality of bring it on, let's go. When you sweep double headers, boy, that's a, I mean, that, I mean, what you do in one day, how much you affect the standings in one day by sweeping a double header. Now, if you get swept, we saw, look what it did for the Astros against the A's. By the way, how are uh, your Texas Rangers doing, Cody? It's a big win yesterday for the Rangers. The, uh, that's, that's the Mike Miner, Todd Father, Robinson Chirinos less. Texas Rangers with a big 6-5 win in extra innings. The Astros aren't very good in extra innings uh, this year. I had I have this out on the rundown somewhere of what their record in extra innings is. I can't remember the top of my head. They're 2-5 and five in extra innings this year are the Astros. Now, interesting because they uh, actually are 3-1 and one in doubleheaders, so they only play two of them, but one of them was a sweep against the A's. But, yeah, the, the Rangers winning the game last night puts the A's up three in the West. They still have a 99, wait for it, 0.9% chance of – making the postseason, according to fan graphs, playoff odds. So there's nothing to panic about just yet when it comes to the Astros catching up. I know it's three games, but you never know because I saw Richard Justice did a piece earlier today with his, like, seven bowl predictions. He pretty much said that uh, this is the year the Astros won't win the division, but they're going to. And it's like we're writing about this on September 2nd. It's very bold for a guy that lives in Houston, but he believes it. it could happen still. Yeah, I mean – I mean, if the A's do what they do and they continue to dominate with their bullpen and the offense just gets better, they should win the division. And the A's play really well at home to where home field advantage hasn't been a a, a big deal so far this season. But the A's, you know, you get them at home and you get them in a series 
win that three-game series, and then after that, you know, I, I mean, it hasn't been official about the bubble yet, right? The American League being in Southern California and the National League being in, in Texas. I haven't seen confirmation on it. I know we talked about that last week. Jeff Passan had a report of that happening in the World Series potentially being played at the new ballpark in Arlington. And the first round, the teams that win the division would host the first round game. So if the A's win the division, they'd host whoever they play if they're one of the top seeds. Uh, well, they would if they won the division, of course. So, yeah, nothing official yet, but that's what they've been talking about. I know Passan had that last week, but – Still have time to figure that out, but I think more than likely that's probably going to happen. Yeah, I think, I mean, with the success of the NBA and the NHL, I, I could see that happening. Um, we got a lot to get into. I mean, obviously, we have to get into what happened with the Yankees and the Rays. Who uh, Was that Brasso who was at the plate that they threw at his head? Yeah, that's correct. It was uh, Michael Brasso, Brasso. It's Brasso, I think, but... Either way, they threw at his head, Brasso. and then uh, he gets, uh, you know, Chapman just stares at him, and then you see the bench is clear after the game. There's suspensions. It's all it's chaos. The race still lead the division, so that's a good thing. But yeah, that happened last night. He gets three games where Joe Kelly gets eight. Uh, I just don't understand the logic behind all some of this stuff. So, man, you come up and in at 101 miles an hour. I mean, forget up and in, up over his head. Uh, that, 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 you, that's life changing. I mean, that's, and what is it? Because the Rays have been kicking the Yankees behind. Is that, that's the reason why? I mean, I guess that's an old school mentality, but when you're throwing 101 miles an hour, that's some really, really scary stuff. Do you want to get to Liam here so we can get the Fosse on time? Yeah, that, that works. Okay, earlier today, we caught up with the American League Reliever of the Month. It's really so far of the season. 2-0 with a 1.10 ERA, 10, uh, 10 saves. Liam has been fabulous. And, Cody, as we like to say, a uh, friend of the program, we have not had a player on more than Liam Hendricks. Is it even close? I don't think it's close. Uh, I mean, if we had a tally up the leaderboard, it'd be Liam Maybe Robbie Grossman's but not a lot, and Mark Hanna. Uh, that I would say those would be the leaders in the clubhouse right now. Chris Bassett has been on a few times, but those are the three. Simeon, Simeon, yeah. I would say probably Liam, and then we've had Robbie Grossman a, a couple times, and Mark Hanna. So, but no one's no one's even close to Liam. Here is the American League Reliever of the Month, Liam Hendricks. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live is the all-star Liam Hendricks. It is great to have you back on the program. Uh, and by the way, a nice little reward has gone your way. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've got a call from Bomo this morning when I was uh, when Christy was out getting coffee, and it was just it was a, it's always nice to be recognized, but it's it's still weird at the same point. I mean, it's it's the, the reliever of the month, but it's realistically the reliever of the half, I guess. It's just the way the season's worked out. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, before the season, we had you on, and I asked you about, you know, in a shortened season, if a guy gets into a lot of games and makes a big difference or could be some awards going his way, and here we are basically just over mid the, the midway point, and you're the reliever of the month. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely weird. Uh, obviously, I'm grateful for the award but it's I mean you can't do it without the guys behind you I mean 
I still think they got the thing wrong. I mean, Deakman hasn't even given up a run yet. I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy who's got similar innings to what I've done and hasn't given up a run. I mean, it's, he's got one of the best swing swing percentages in the league. It's just uh, it's always interesting these things, but I'm, I'll take it when I can get it. But um, I mean, these guys need to be rewarded as well. You know, when you first started, you talked about, eh, you weren't feeling 100%. Uh, we saw your velocity around 96. Now we've seen the uptick around 98, 99. Where are you now versus the start of the season? I'm feeling a little bit better. I'm feeling a little bit more fluid, feeling a little bit more comfortable on the mound. I mean, um, knock on wood, obviously. But, um, yeah, the big, like, it's always interesting. You'll see at home, uh, I'll be 94 to 95, 96 every now and then. And as soon as we go on the road, all of a sudden I'm being, I've had some higher velocities on the road. So I'm not sure if there's any, any correlation with that going on, but um, it's just whether, whatever it is. I mean, I'm just happy. I don't care if it's 88, 89, as long as I'm getting swing and misses, that's all that matters. You know, when you go outing to outing, and I know you look at velocity, everybody does. What are the readings you get? Is that coming from like stat cast? Is it coming from the team? Where do you look at that? Uh, well, I look after every single pitch. So if you ever see me pitch, I'll be looking at the velo gun straight away. So that's just happens. <laughs> I need to check my performance. Of, it's called the performance evaluator for a reason. But uh, it was actually really cool. In Texas, they've got a spin rate thing up there. So I was just, it's, I'm, I'm interested in that stuff. I don't take too much stock in it because I don't want to get too enwrapped in kind of velocities and all that. But I'll always have a look and see how it goes. And that was an interesting little facet that you could add to a thing. But, um, yeah, generally, it's, uh, it's uh, each stadium is done by a universal kind of thing. This year it's called Hawkeye. Uh, it's a new system this year, so it's, it took a little bit to get up and running. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's got a little bit more in-depth and um, I, wouldn't, I shouldn't say accurate, but it's got some, uh, some different things in there that they can track a little bit. So they, we go on there, we'll get into the video room, or not this year, but we'll have a look at some video and, and that's where you can see the velocities. And I mean, it's pretty much tracked everywhere these days. Everyone has access to all this sort of data and stuff. So it's just interesting the way different people can interpret different things as well. You know, it's interesting without having fans in the stands and still having the crowd mics out there. You know, when you have a breaking ball that you're not happy with that falls a little short, um, it's uh, uh, we get to know exactly how you're feeling. Yeah, I tend to have some uh, some explosive verbal assaults when I throw a breaking ball in the dirt. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I've done it the last few years. It's just my way of kind of telling myself immediately that immediate gut reaction, like, Hey, I need to be better than that. And now you can hear it a little bit more cause there's, there's no crowds, but, uh, it is what it is. I mean, I'm just uh, <laughs> in the day, like it, it, lock, it helps lock me back in for whatever reason. It's just, uh, that one little trigger I have that I can do that. And I'll get a little bit of ribbing from the from the uh, opposition dugout, which just fuels the fire even more. That okay, you want to talk, you want to talk that. I'm just going to go out here and do this. And it's just that the little like fuel to the fire a little bit, you know. Really, I didn't. So so uh, they obviously everybody in the ballpark's hearing it. So they, they'll chirp at you from the other dugout. Oh yeah, I mean they'll you'll hear something. I mean I you'll also hear a lot from our bullpen. Because uh, our biggest saying is if you bounce something in the dirt, you'll just hear a chorus of yells from our bullpen saying, hey, you hold that. So it's just this, <laughs> we say that to everybody, no matter who bounces it, if it's our team, their team, it's just, uh, it's our little thing that Ryan Book dreaded last year and we've kind of run with this year. So you've played basically half a season. What, what, what now is it like that you've been through this without the fans 
you know, it, it changes adrenaline, obviously. What has that been like for you? Uh, it's been tough. As someone who relies a lot on the adrenaline of coming into a situation with fans in the stands, with the music blaring and different situations all of a sudden, like I've got two strikes and two outs, and then you hear the crowd noise uh, crowd noise pick up. I mean, I'm not sure who's in charge of it with the A's. I'm pretty sure it's Amelia, but and she's just been doing a fantastic job. Like the A's have been one of the best stadiums we've gone to in terms of crowd noise. They really kind of get into the fact of like they build it up and there's certain things. But uh, and that, that's what everyone on the team has been saying. We've done a really good job of it. But uh, yeah, certain places. But the A's have done a really good job of everything between the cardboard cutouts, making sure that it somewhat looks like there's people in the stands. I mean, you look around some of the other games on TV and stuff, and there's just nothing in the outfield, and all of a sudden you can really tell that it's there's no fans there. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean it was it was I mean, weird in Houston. Like they have them in the Crawford boxes. They got them down the left field line, but they don't have them really. Be, you know, they have that right behind home plate, but above that, they didn't have it. I mean, yeah, you're right. Like watching some of these stadiums, whether they have none or very little, it's now become very noticeable. Yeah, it shows you the organizations that are doing a good job with it. I think um, there's the teams that are going with the blank canvases for the players. That that's all they see, but on TV, then you see the virtual crowds, but. There was, there's been a couple of times where Christie's called me and be like, hey, are there people in the stands there? Like, what's going on? No, it was just like uh, San Diego, for, for instance. Along their little right field wall, they have dressed up mannequins. So they're like, <laughs> I mean, if you do a little bit of a glance out there, it's a little creepy. I mean, it's like you're walking through an abandoned Nordstrom. <laughs> I mean, weird times, weird times. Uh, by the way, how is that new ballpark in Texas? New Park's fantastic. They did a really good job with it. They uh, the bullpen's great because it's it's uh, it's open. It's not underground. That's my biggest gripe with Houston Stadium. It's just it's an underground bullpen where it's just you don't ever get a chance to feel how you're doing. But that's a, the one in Texas is fantastic. They've got a little air conditioned room next door, which is going to be fantastic. Where um, when you're actually able to view the game on a delay in there, where right now we can't because they're only letting certain TVs have the certain camera view. But the stadium's great. The clubhouse is great. Um, the clubhouse assistants there, Kelly, Matt, and uh, Newman and Parker, have all done such a fantastic job of making making it feel great. I mean, they did put me and uh, Jake Diekman in the in one of the the women's showers, women's locker rooms, to keep us socially distanced from everybody else, just to make sure with the high risk guys that we're uh, being taken care of. But I mean, it's a huge clubhouse. I mean, they've got photos of the uh, the on the visitors' training room. They've got photos of the home side's gym and hydro rooms that just really make you a little jealous because. I mean, their entire hydro room, I think, is as big as the Oakland clubhouse. Really? What's a hydro room? Uh, just your whirlpools and your hot tubs, cold tubs, wow. just uh, stuff that guys get into pregame. Like I, before every game, I'll do a, I'll get into the hot tub and then I'll get into the cold tub just to make sure that I'm not sweating when I try and put my toe socks on. And that's just my kind of uh, pregame routine. But yeah, they've got they've got all that available for guys that uh, in a normal season you'll have several guys in there at once just trying to get ready for the game. What do you think this has been like, and, and forget about a shortened season and COVID-19 and everything, what do you think this has been like from a standpoint of the cheating scandal, not being able to look at video inside the game? How much do you think that has changed for hitters and also for pitchers? Uh, it hasn't changed too much for pitchers. because There's not too many pitches that will come up mid-outing and have a look at like, where a pitch was or anything like that. They just judge it based on the catches or – the pitching coaches go up, like uh, Scott Emerson was saying, he's, he usually goes up in the fourth and up in the seventh to see where the strike zone's at and kind of relay that around. But 
the biggest thing for, is for the hitters, like they'll go up after every single at bat, check video, check see where that was, check see where the hands were, check everything like this. So there's been some guys that are struggling a little bit with not being able to have that immediate kind of feedback. But for pitches, we don't like it. I'm in the bullpen. Like I can't really tell anyway. Like they're not going to, I can't tell where the strike zone's at. I can't like go in between innings because very rarely do I sit down, check it, check it like the video and then go back out. So I think it's just, it's been very tough on some hitters that are, that need that kind of immediate response to being like where a pitch was, being able to kind of gratify the fact of, okay, that was at the bottom of the zone, he got the call right, or that was out of the zone, he got the call wrong. So it's just, uh, it's been a little bit tough on some of those guys, but I think once they get through this year, they'll be used to it a little bit more. And I don't think they have to rely on technology as much because who knows how long this is, uh, this whole kind of video and stuff like that hiatus is going to be because at the end of the day, like if it's, if you want to, really get rid of all the sign ceiling and everything like that, just shut it down. Don't let players have access. And it is what it is then. Rely you know, on your I'm own not, talent. I'm not going to mention the game and I'm not going to mention the umpire, but you came into a game and you threw two pitches literally right down the middle. And I know you remember this and you didn't get the calls. What's going through your head when you literally throw the ball right down the middle and they don't call it a strike? Yeah, my immediate reaction to those, the, the couple missed calls were like, uh, what are we doing here? Like, where are they? And I'm like, okay, maybe he's just got a low zone today. So let's, well, let's work with that. I mean, luckily I was able to get out of the, uh, get out of the inning. And then afterwards I had a look. I'm like, yeah, they were strikes. They were right there. But then it turns out that the umpire had some, uh, yeah, he got hit on the, hit in the, like by a foul ball earlier in the game and had some issues going on there. So it's that, uh, my, my thoughts go out to Jim, who's, um, who's the home plate umpire. I mean, he had a bit of a, bit of a rough one getting hit and then kind of obviously getting blown up online apparently. So uh, I just want to make sure he's doing well. I know he had some symptoms later that night of uh, some concussion stuff going on. So hopefully he's uh, on the, on the road to recovery right now and he can get back out there and, and get behind the plate again. Cause he's been fantastic throughout my entire career before this. So. You know, I, I, I think about your bullpen this year. It truly has been the strength of the team. I mean, I know defense, I understand the home runs, the offense and everything. But the bullpen is the reason why you guys are in first place. Just talk about how proud you are of your guys and how good you guys have been throughout the year. I mean, that bullpen's been been our strong point all year. It's just one of those things that we can we can go out there and uh, and if someone's having a bit of a rough one as a start, like we can go out there and kind of hopefully um, stop it. And then our offense has been remarkably strong in coming back in those seven, eight, ninth innings. So that's the, that's our biggest downfall of the doubleheader is the fact that we don't get our strongest innings, which is seven, eight, nine, but um yeah, I mean we've got guys out there that are that are making contributions that have gone back to where their career norms are, like Jake Digman. I mean, he's been a quality reliever for his entire career and he's come out this year and, and he's proved that last year was more of an anomaly than anything. Uh sorry he's gone back to his uh his veteran status of the reason he's pitched for fourteen years in the big leagues. Yusmero Petit is doing exactly what he's been doing his entire career, going out there and, and stopping rallies and, and giving us innings and you're finally seeing the uh, the maturity of guys like J.B. Wendelkin, Lutravino is coming back. I mean, Jordan Williams has come up and done a fantastic job before Smith went on the DL. He was uh, he was he was doing well, and T.J. McFarland is going back to what I saw him being able to do when I was in Baltimore and for two weeks of spring training. I mean, these are this this isn't like abnormal for a lot of these guys coming out there and having the success they've had. It's just we've all been able to click at the same time, which is just something special. 
you know, you play catch with Soria every day. Have you worked with him on that drop-down hook that he has? I mean, that one that he threw to Trout and he froze Trout, it was like this has become a serious weapon for him. I think that may be like the third time he's got trout with that drop down curveball. It's just what, like he plays catch with it every day. Like we play catch and then he'll, we'll come in and I'll work on my pitches and he'll work on different arm slots. And I'm just, my arm hurts just looking at him do that. So it's amazing what he's been able to do. But this has been a guy who's done that his entire career. I mean, he's currently throwing hard than he ever has in his career. I mean, it's just the last two years he's kicked it up a notch to be able to get that extra velocity. And it's come with maybe just kind of opening up arm angles and seeing where everything flies. But He's got so many different looks, and he's not predictable in the fact that if he drops down, it's going to be a breaking ball, or if he drops down, it's going to be a fastball. He's able to do everything from each, each angle. and I mean, it takes a special kind of arm to be able to do that, and it's uh, it takes a special sort of mentality to be able to have the confidence in that no matter what. But, I mean, it's, it's a credit to him. He's constantly working on everything, and it's always great being able to play catch with a guy like that because you can ask him questions and bounce questions off him, like, hey, how does this look coming out of the hand? Hey, how does the rotation, how does the spin look on this? And he's able to give you honest feedback because – He's done it for years, and he's gone through this with several players before me. Let's end on this. When you restart here, you got three against the Padres, and you got four against the Astros. This is going to be an interesting stretch and tell a lot about how the rest of the season's going to go. Yeah, so obviously you look at what the Padres have done. I mean, they're calling him Slam Diego right now. So it's uh, <laughs> their offense is pretty special right now. I've, uh, I know a couple of them personally, and they're – I mean, I, I take it from this. They're just good people, but does, good people doesn't mean I'm not going to try and get them out. I mean, uh, we've got three against the Padres. We've got now five against the Astros because of the doubleheader on uh, on Tuesday. So we've um, yeah, we've got we've got a lot of we've got a tough week coming up. But this is also a week where we can really separate ourselves in the AL West, and we can separate ourselves from a lot of the teams in the, and it's just in the West in general. So this is a this is a big um, kind of sticking the water point for us about seeing where we are, seeing how the high the water can get. And uh, we come out and do what we can after this whole last week that's going on. I mean, we, we're just going to pat ourselves and, and, and get that kind of momentum going before hopefully uh, a long playoff run. Hey, congratulations. The start of the season has been fantastic. 2-0, 1.10 ERA, 10 saves. Uh, keep it going. It's been great to watch. Keep winning ball games because – I know this is a tough year. I know how what a grind this is on you guys, but the potential that you guys have for this season is very, very special. Yeah, I mean, all I want to do is just get back to playing, and that's what we're going to try and hopefully do on Friday. Take care. All right, thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. The great Liam Hendricks, the All-Star, would have been an All-Star again this year. What a year he's having. Coming up next, did I mention All-Star? How about a two-time All-Star? Ray Fossey joins us next right here on A's Cast Live. Right now, staying connected is more important than ever, and fast, reliable internet from Xfinity can help. We have plans to fit every budget with speeds up to a gig, all at Xfinity.com. We'll ship you a self-install kit on us to make setup quick, safe, and easy. No tech visit required. And our simple digital tools will help you manage your account online. At Xfinity, we're committed to keeping you connected. Find great offers and value today at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.
This is Chris Townsend for the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. If you're looking for some beautiful outdoor dining, then look no further than the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. Come try the world-famous chicken pie dinner that has been served in Southern California for over 80 years and one of the most dynamic menus in Walnut Creek. The Chicken Pie Shop also has a full takeout menu and delivery. You go to chickenpieshopwc.com. That's chickenpieshopwc.com. Don't forget, they can also deliver beer, wine, and spirits. You go to chickenpieshopwc.com. Chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers, even during an emergency. The safety and health of workers, customers, and the communities where Chevron operates are primary concerns. In Northern California, Chevron and Texaco stations are open for business, supplying quality fuels in a safe manner. You don't need to understand how available adaptive variable suspension works or how pre-collision cameras detect pedestrians in low light. You don't need to understand any of the craft that went into the Lexus ES to feel it. With outstanding connectivity and standard Lexus Safety System Plus 2.0. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. LSS Plus 2.0 and the pre-collision system with pedestrian detection are not a substitute for safe and attentive driving practices. See owner's manual for additional limitations and details. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, we ready? Are we ready for Raymond Fossey, the he, face of the franchise? He's going to call into us, so I'm just waiting for him to call in. I sent him a text, so he knows. We kind of predicted it. And this, I mean, I'm not, this is not patting ourselves on the back, but we kind of said, you know, relievers are going to get a lot of play. And I know that was probably boring when we were getting ready for the start of the season because we like to talk about home runs and great players and, Relievers are going to play big in this season, and it's been true. And if you're on a good team, like the A's, and you're putting up a bunch of saves, awards are going to be coming your way. I mean, you look at the two best bullpens. Who have the two best bullpens been? Dodgers and A's? I'd agree with that. Pretty much? For sure, the A's. Uh, there's Well, the Dodgers were leading in ERA, but the A's overtook them, but... I think they're still one and two in ERA. Yeah, Kenley Jansen was the NL reliever of the month, so that makes sense. So the two relievers. Oh, and uh, I don't know their run differential. What what is their uh, well, run it, differential? I'm pretty sure they won again last night. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I have the. Let me check. I'm refreshing the standings here. Um, yeah, they won again last night, so their run differential won it by three because they won by three runs. Yeah, their run di- the run the the LA Dodgers run differential is only plus ninety three. That any that's good? it. Uh, who's the next closest? That would be your Chicago. Oh, no, it'd be the Cleveland Indians. They're plus 48, and they're not even in first place. Well, now they're now tied for first place. Excuse me. So it's the Indians at plus 44, and the Chai Sox, who play where? The South Side. Uh, they're 44. They lost to the Twins last night. The A's are plus 36, Astros plus 22. You want to know how bad this division really is? Remember when we were building up the, oh, the American League West, you got to watch out. Remember people were telling us that? Uh, Seattle is minus 43. Texas is minus 57. And the Angels in last place are minus 22. By the way, uh, the Angels taking on the Padres for two. You want to see the Angels kind of beat up on on San Diego, kind of soften them up before they show up to, to Oakland because – Part of the problem is 
The A's haven't played. And baseball is a sport that you play every day, and when you don't play, uh, things can get challenging. We have not seen the A's now on the field since Saturday. What the doubleheader? Yeah, Saturday. Was the last time we saw the A's. Oh, uh, can can I can I get my man's open, please? Can we show him some respect? <laughs> Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Ray, they, 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 they get it wrong. It's just not a Gold Glove. It's a Rawlings Gold Glove. You said it exactly right. Very proud of the most prestigious award individually other than probably Cy Young and uh, MVP. But, you know, to be one of only nine in the American League and 18 in Major League Baseball to receive that prestigious award, thank you very much. And Rawlings does a good job. By the way, you're exactly right. You can't play this game with as much time off as the A's have had. And the A's really, I mean, you look at the time they had off, but I just caught the tail end of your conversation with Commander Cody, who, by the way, continues to do an outstanding job. But, you know, last Saturday was the last time on the field. It's going to be almost a week. And I, I think we saw with Chris Bassett and we saw with uh, Frankie Montas, you know, out of sync a little bit because they had they been on their normal turn, it would have been, what, Thursday, Friday. Instead, it was doubleheader Saturday. So, I agree with what you were saying, that the game needs to be played every day. You cannot have time off. And unfortunately, because of circumstances, the A's have had that time. You know, Ray, it is, uh, it's really any sport, right? I mean, if you don't shoot in a basketball game for a week, if you're not blocking and tackling and throwing the football around, if you're not hitting a golf ball, tennis, I mean, whatever you do in pro sports, anytime you take time off, you can practice all you want. But once you get into a real game, it's about timing. It's about the rhythm. And you just, for some reason, when you take time off, I mean, I mean, like even a sport like football, look how many teams over the years have struggled coming out of their bye week because they're just not in sync. No, you're, you're exactly right, Tony. And I, I think, and I hate to be biased and talk about baseball, but baseball is timing and rhythm, and especially the timing part. For every position player, for hitters, for everybody. And that is something that is missing. It's lacking when you don't play the game. I mean, an occasional day off, they have them spread out throughout a season. That's fine. But still, you can see those games when they come back after having one day off. That's essentially 48 hours between the last pitch and the first pitch of the next game. And that's a lot of time when it comes to the timing. But sometimes the body needs to rest. And I think that's why they have the 20 consecutive game limit for baseball, and then you, you at least have to play some games. But, you know, the way things are going right now, um, you know, it, it's amazing. The, 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 now, Zach Greinke, for example, the, the way I looked at Saturday's game, now McCullers is kind of in the rookie, or, or not rookie, but young status that, say, Chris Bassett and Frankie Montas, but Zach Greinke knows what he has to do. He's a veteran. He's been around for a long time. Matter of fact, his debut at the Coliseum back in, what, 2003 or four or something like that. So, you know, he knows how to adapt to situations. But I think by and large, if you miss time, then I think it's going to affect you. You can't simulate 
You can't play inter-squad games. Exhibition games, while they are good against another team, that's fine. But against your own team, you're afraid of hurting somebody as a pitcher. But it takes game speed. It takes something that you're playing for to be effective. And unfortunately, again, you know, we saw last week, you know, with the Thursday and Friday and playing Saturday. And now that's it until Friday, hopefully, and that everything gets back to normal. But, you know, it, it has to be done. It has to be timed out. And, you know, it's just like your broadcast, you know. You just can't step in cold turkey. You've got to have some preparation, you know? So it's, it's, it's all about timing. It's all about, like you said, the rhythm, the flow, everything. And, and baseball is definitely that kind of a sport. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, Ray, but they don't give us time off. We work through everything. We work through <laughs> pandemics. We work through holidays. Uh, we, we never, A's cast and A's cast live never goes away. And you know what? That's why you're the best. That's why they keep having you because you you are the best and you don't need time off because you are the best. And I think that's that's tremendous on your part. So keep going. As long as you have Commander Cody there, then what could go wrong with you, man? I mean, that's 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 good good life for you. Now, Liam Hendricks, who we just had on, has been spectacular. The whole bullpen has been spectacular. And Ray, I, I mean. The reason why this team is in first place, if you had to give me one reason, I mean, you got to say it's the bullpen, right? There's no doubt. Absolutely. And especially, you know, Liam Hendricks said at the beginning that there could be a Cy Young Award winner from a bullpen, from a reliever. And, you know, and, and Liam's correct and, and not surprised that he was the American League player, a pitcher of the month. And, you know, what he did, and I think also, Tony, the way Bob Melvin used him, especially in those extra inning games, and, you know, a lot of times you're, you say, well, I want my closer to pitch the ninth inning. Well, if it's a tie game and he can't come out for the 10. Look, look at Hansel Robles. He's a perfect example. He pitched the ninth for the Angels, came out of the 10th with a runner second base. First of all, he's flustered because he said, wait a minute, what's going on? I've never had this experience before. So he had to deal with that. And then the A's ended up hitting the grand slam, you know, but he got the loss. And so, so what Melvin is doing, and I think it's spectacular, he has Soria pitch the ninth. And hoping, in the case of the A's, if they don't win it in the bottom of the night, they go out for the tenth. And then, if they uh, the opposing team doesn't score, or are actually, you don't have to worry about it. You send Hendricks out, and that's what he's been doing. Because you start with a runner at second base, and with Hendricks throwing lights out ninety-five to hundred, you know they can't even advance the runner to third base, much less try to score him. And so you go to the bottom of the tenth inning, scoreless. And then you have runner at second base, you win the ball game, and that's what the A's have done. I think a lot. Has, has depended on what Bob Melvin has done, but also what Liam Hendricks is capable of doing, and he has shown that. And I agree. He, he has been spectacular, as has the rest of the bullpen. And now you're starting to get Lou Trevino pitching the way he did in 2018. Uh, you've got Jordan Reams. You, uh, you, you know, you've got a lot of guys who are pitching well, which means now that Bob Melvin and Scott Emerson can go to whomever they want to and have success. And I think that's going to make or break a team, especially in a shortened season, and the A's have that bullpen. Now, trading for minor, you know, people say, well, you know, I thought it was a good rotation. Well, look at the doubleheaders all of a sudden the A's have due to the postponements. And they're not cancellations, they're postponements. So the A's have to double up, what, three doubleheaders, uh, you know, coming up with uh, Houston, uh, Seattle, Seattle twice. And, you know, so, and, and that's that's planned right now. Who knows what can happen the final Right, three and a half weeks of the season, but um, you know it's possible. And again, I don't know what they're going to do, but a six-man rotation would be perfect. That way, you don't disrupt anybody in their normal term. 
All right, so let's just fast forward. And A's are in the playoffs. You got a three-game set. Bob Melvin calls Ray Fossey and says, Ray, who are my three starters for these three games? Uh, who, who are you throwing out there? Well, first of all, I'm not going to stay up all night waiting for that phone call. Oh, he's calling you. You kidding me? And no, he, it's going to be a conference call. Emo's going to be on it. Billy no, B, no. David Force, and they're saying, Fossey, help us out. You won two World Series. You know what I would do, Tony? And again, we've talked about this, and I know you've brought it up. Mike Fires has yet to sniff an inning in the last two wild card games. You know, he's a veteran. He's been in all situations. You know, he, he's pitched a couple of no hitters. He's played the playoffs. You know, uh, you know, and he's not an opener. We found that out in Anaheim in 2018 because he came in second and imploded. And he said, you know, we have our routine. You know, I, I would pitch him in a heartbeat and start with him. And then depending who else pitches well down the stretch. And I think that's part of what's going to be happening. Now, Fires is pitching his best right now. He, he's outstanding. It took him a little while. Typically, you know, it, it takes a little while for anybody. Coming out of spring training, they get up to about 100 pitches and then they start the season. This has been so so much of a change because of the abbreviated season, but I, I would definitely start with him. And, and Lazardo's got a chance, although he's young, he's a rookie. Um, but, you know, it, it's going to depend on what Manaya, Bassett, and um, uh, Montas can do in addition to Minor as far as who's going to be the other part of it. But, but I like Fires and I like Lazardo, and maybe a crapshoot for the rest of the guys, but I uh, definitely, definitely would go with. Uh, with Mike Fires, just because of everything that he has meant to this ball club. He's a leader. He knows how to pitch. Nothing flusters him. And I, I think he would be outstanding. And, and you know, Tony, also think of this. If the A's have the best record and they host that first three-game series, that means that Mike Fires can pitch in the ballpark where the way he pitches is conducive. It's, it's a big park, a lot of foul territory, fly balls, stay in the park. And granted, he gives up home runs, but not so much at home. And he pitches well at the Coliseum. And I think that would be a great start to get out on the right foot. And Listella, we haven't been able to talk to you. I know we talked about it during the broadcast, but uh, here on Ace Cast Live, we haven't been able to talk about it. Ray, just, you know, there just hasn't been that kind of presence of a guy that makes a whole lot of contact like a Jed Lowry. Uh, the A's have yeah. been looking for that guy. He is finally someone who's similar. And I'm not trying to you know, compare Listella to, to, to Jed, Jed was so good for the A's, but just to have somebody in there that hits for a higher average, make contact. You saw it the other day, runner on third, he grounds out to second. He brings the runner home. He doesn't strike out. I mean, I just, I, I'm hoping that's kind of infectious and helps out this lineup. Tony, I heard you say that. And I was in my car driving and I, I agreed with you 100% because I've always said in those situations, you have a productive out, or worst-case scenario, you make an out and you put the ball in play and you get the run in because it's a gift, especially with the infield back. But I think what Tommy LaStella brings is, is he's a veteran. He's a left-handed bat. He can play second base. And, and I think that is something that, you know, maybe Tony Kemp loses some playing time. Chad Pender's going to be back after the paternity leave. And we congratulate he and his wife on the birth of their child. And, you know, get him back. And, and I think Tommy LaStella hitting second, setting the table with Marcus Simeon. Let's hope his ribcage injury is not that extensive. And if it is, you know, maybe move LaStella up or, or put Ramon there as he played in the second game on Saturday. Uh, Laureano. But, you know, there's some options that Bob Melvin has. But I think LaStella 
adds a lot to the ball club. And you know what, Tony? I, I think we all hope that Franklin Barreto gets a chance at Anaheim. And they're trying to win, so he may not. But he was not going to get that chance here. And I think David Poor said it best. And, you know, we've talked about it, that if you're trying to win, it's hard to let somebody go out and you say to him, it's your job to lose. We're going to leave you there no matter what. And granted, it might help relax that person. But if he's hitting a buck, 150 or whatever, and striking out, not doing the job offensively, they have to find somebody to do the job. So it was the last piece of the, um, the Donaldson trade. But, hey, that's, that's what happens in baseball. Trades are made. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not so good. But I think in Barreto's case, change of scenery, again, might do him well. But I think the A's were able to steal Estella, considering what they needed, what the A's needed, and what the Angels, unfortunately, were going through and are going through with the demise of their season already. They're, they're kind of giving up in a sense. So uh, it, it's a good break for the Athletics, good break for Estella. And he's, this kid's playing for something. And, you know, look at how many games he picked up in the standings by just getting traded to the Athletics. <laughs> You know, just overnight, you know, those those are positive. You, you go to a ball club, you're new, but you go, my goodness, you know, I've watched this team and they, they know how to play the game. And I, I think he fits right in perfectly. Ray, you said it a steal. Like, I I, I, yeah. I, I, I told you this. I I was getting on my bike. We were done for the day and I was going for a bike ride. Right. I'm trying to stay in shape. And and, and Cody texts me. Listella for Barreto. I thought he was lying. I'm like, why would you do that? Well, explain yeah. this, Ray. I mean, you played on one of the great teams in the history of the game. Talk about how when you're trying to win a championship, you just don't have time to give a kid an opportunity to like sink or swim. You you gotta, I mean, you got Dick Green, he's not gonna hit a lot, but you, you have him out there to play second base. I mean, you just can't tell a kid, hey, good luck and let's see what he does for two months. No, you're exactly right, Tony. And, and I think the, the, the name Dick Green that you brought up, what he and Campy did as a double play combination, remember that was a different time. Because if you depended really on my offense, Dick Green, Campy, of course, set the table, and Billy North in center field, who also set the table. But really, offense typically comes from your right fielder, your left fielder, your first baseman, third baseman. But now the game of baseball is, is full-on offense. And, and while Franklin Barreto – uh, I, I think the biggest thing that we've talked about and, and we've seen tremendous in spring training, but for some reason, everything happens. You know, he plays well at triple a, but he gets the big leagues and granted big league pitchers know how to pitch in the scouting reports, but you have to make adjustments and use the right side, right field, which it does. He did often in spring training. And, and you know, I hope he does that with the angels, but unfortunately when he got to the big leagues with the athletics, he didn't do that. And, and I think that's one of the problems that he had. And you're right. If you're trying to win, you cannot live and die with a player who is not hitting because every position now is an offensive position. And, I, you know, I'm biased, but I think catching, you can't rely so much on offense with a catcher that it takes away what his main job is, and that is handling pitching staff and throwing out base runners and blocking balls. But any other position, you, you have to have some offense. You remember Mark Belanger who played shortstop for the great Orioles teams? He couldn't play today. There's no way. He had a buck 90. But he was he, he could we, we always talked about they call him the blade and he could feel the ground ball with a pair of pliers. I mean, his hands were so good. But, you know, it, but but, you know, they're, they're different guys. But but Earl Weaver knew that he had Brooks and Franks Robinson and Boog Powell and, and uh, Paul Blair and just on and on and on. Davey Johnson, you know, all these great hitters. He said, I'd rather have defense. I want somebody to catch the ball. He had four 20 game winners in 1971 for a reason because he had great defense behind him. 
But in today's world, and all the changes that have occurred in baseball, it has become a position, every position with offense. And to the point, what they say, we can't hide you. And, and typically, you're trying to hide somebody. What happens? Bases loaded, one out or two outs, and you're depending on that guy to come through. The guy you're trying to hide, and it just doesn't happen. It's a, it's a negative in that respect. But, um, uh, you know, wish the best for Franklin. But uh, listen, if you're trying to win as the A's are, Tommy LaStella is a great addition to this ball club. He's going to fit in perfectly. And, and you know, Tony, too, I think when you hear players say, I've watched the Oakland A's from the other side, and I like the way they play the game. They seem yeah. to have a cohesive unit. When you hear somebody say that, you know that when he's traded or becomes a member of that ball club, he's going to fit right in. He's going to be welcome. And I, I think from the A standpoint, the players who are here, like Matt Chapman said, he improves our ball club. He helps our ball club. We wish Franklin the best, but Tommy LaStella fits in to this lineup. And I, I think it's a mutual agreement between the, uh, the, the player who is acquired and the teammates that he's being acquired by. And I think it all fits perfectly. And I think that's where LaStella is going to fit in very nicely. You know, Ray, when I think about the uh, mistake by the lake, I mean, uh, Cleveland Municipal <laughs> Stadium, um, I, no I, I, had to, I, I had to think that they must have had like the biggest, most beautiful video room back in the day where you could go up and look at all the all the video of pictures. I mean, it had to be amazing back in the day. What's a video back in the 70s? <laughs> Tony, you, you know, the amazing thing, Tony, a pitcher and, and you pitch. OK, so you wind up and you throw the ball. Where's your head? It's all over the place. Right. So you have an idea. The catcher gives me the target of the outside part of the plate. I'm throwing to that target, but I'm not watching the ball to that target, right? Correct me. Isn't that right? Your head's flying. Typically, you don't know where, you know, you, you have an idea where you want to throw it. See, what I would experience catching guys, they'd say, well, that was a great pitch. And I went, are you kidding me? That ball was right down the middle. So I think what video does now, you could say as a catcher, the pitcher, go look at the video after the game. Go look at the pitch that you thought was a perfect pitch and see exactly where it was. Because, again, when they release the ball, they don't know, you know, they haven't, they know where it's supposed to go, but I don't think it always goes there. And, uh, no, we had no video. And you know what? I, I'm glad we didn't because you can overanalyze. You can, you can analyze everything. You can get upset. And as a catcher, just think if I went upstairs after that and I saw the umpire made a mistake and called the pitch out of the strike zone, I'm furious. I'm, I'm furious with him. I'm going out there and may get ejected because I'm so, I'm so irate, but you know, so, so it, it's best not to. I mean, I had, I had Bill Howler and I'll mention him because I don't care. Uh, I was catching the second end of a double header, you know, and, and I'll never forget. He called me out on a pitch that had to be six inches outside. And this, this, this guy on, uh, on Twitter, what's he called? The umpire, whatever this guy missed by four and a half inches. I mean, he called me out and I went back behind the plate. I said, what are you doing? And he said, you've had a good day. And I said, I want a better day. Don't call me out on a pitch that I can't reach, you know, and at least give me a chance to hit it. And, and he says, yeah, you're right. I said, I know I'm right. You know, if I, if I have three hits, I want the fourth. And that's why you want to get greedy. So uh, I, I just think that while scouting reports are great, I think there are times that you can overanalyze. You can go to the plate saying, okay, this is a count. You, you, you watch a catcher. Look at that cheat sheet. Why, why are you looking at that? Because if you're watching the hitter, you know what your pitcher can do. You don't need help. And I know I shouldn't even be saying it because it's part of the game and they're doing it. But, you know, it's just like the other day. The count was 
was 0-1. <laughs> and I was thinking, yeah, he's looking 0-1, throw to first base. And the guy throws the first base. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. You know, so, you know, it, it, it's something that you take pride as a catcher. You know the hitters. You know your pitcher. You know your pitcher's strength. And that's always been my feeling. You pitch or you call a game based on your pitcher's strengths, not the hitter's weakness. Because maybe your pitcher doesn't have the pitch that the hitter's weakness is. is and, and, and so you get hurt. So I just think that, you know, if you have good pitches, you throw those good pitches. And I think more times than not, you're going to end up on the winning side because your success is predicated on what you can do as a pitcher, not what the hitter can't do. You go to your strength, and I think that's where it's beneficial. But, you know, videos, you know, Adam Roden does a tremendous job for the A's. I mean, he has everything. And you see all the scouting reports about everything. But I think if you go to the plate and you're thinking, you know, here comes a curveball in this count, 80, you know, 35, 40% of the time, and you take a fastball down the middle, you can't be thinking about something he might do because in that particular situation, he may go against what he's done 35, 40% of the time and go to the other 60% and say, oh, I'm going to throw a fastball. And you take that fastball, to me, it's the most, I would think the most embarrassing thing as a hitter to walk back to the plate having taken a fastball down the middle for strike three. Ray, I played in the early 90s during the dot-com boom, right? Silicon, I went, I, went, I went to San Jose State. I'm in the heart of Silicon Valley. The dot-com, we didn't even have video then. So that's what takes <laughs> me to, like, hitters now. Like, they need to somehow adjust, Ray, that we're hearing that, well, hitters can't go look at video after every single at-bat. Good, good. It's, it's kind of like, I mean, if you had to give advice to somebody going, hey, listen, no one had video back in the day, and, you know, a lot of guys were great players. Like, like how would you tell them, like, listen, stop relying so much on video? What I would say is remember what happened in the at-bat. Go back to the dugout. If you fail, I mean, if you make an out, if you hit, remember that because pretty good chance you won't get that pitch again if you get a hit that, you know, whether it's a hit to drive in a run or just a hit in general. Because, you know, pitchers and catchers, that's their job is to remember how you pitch. And that's why I think a lot of times, Sonny, we'll show on television the batting average of the batters one through nine in the first three innings and then the batting average the next three and so forth. And to me, that's where it's incumbent on the catcher, especially the catcher, to be the leader and remember how you got hitters out. Now, you either stay the same way, or if you find out that he's made an adjustment, you change. And that's where you learn, not by going to a video room and watching video. I think, I think what, again, what Adam Roden does prior to the game, after the game, that's fine. But during the game, I think you should just rely on how you got yourself out or the pitcher got you out, and remember that when you go back to the plate as a hitter. But I think that from a catcher standpoint, you know, Mike Sosha, I may have said this before, but in spring training, Mike Sosha, when the inning was over, he'd have the catcher sit down beside him. You know how they sit outside the dugout? You'd see the catcher sitting there, and he would say to the catcher, okay, give me the sequence of all your pitches to these hitters and why. <laughs> you think that doesn't force a catcher to think what he's doing instead of just throwing down fingers? It does. And, and I think that's important because there's a reason that catchers take longer in the minor leagues to get the big leagues because they have to learn how to handle a pitching staff and call a game. Because typically, no. Now, when, when you pitched, did your catcher get the signs from the dugout in no. the 90s? No. So he called the game, you shook off or did whatever. Yeah. Okay. But see, but I think came, a lot of – In college baseball, it was literally 
a few years after because, you know, our conference was like the number one conference because we had Fullerton. I played against Kotze. They won the national championship. I played against Giambi, Nevin, and those guys. It okay. really was like Long Beach and Fullerton started calling the pitches. This was after I was done, and then everybody started to do it. And now to this day, Ray, I, 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 it, it sickens me to watch these games to where the dugout's calling every single pitch. If I'm a pitcher, I'm like, I want to throw what I want to throw. I don't care what my pitching coach yeah. says. I want to throw what I want to throw. What I feel is going to get people out. It's almost insulting yeah. that you call someone's pitches. Okay, now I'm going, to, I'm going to clarify something that what you're talking about is at the college and high school level because at the major league level, catchers call their own game. The only reason they look in is there's a runner on base to get the throw overs, which I still don't agree with. Anyway, something totally well, Russo started. They'll call defense well, positioning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. But but I but I agree with you because see the thing that that bothers me. Alvin Dark did it to me in 1970, and every pitch was called. Right ear was a fastball. Cheek was a curveball. The chin was a slider. Left uh, 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 left cheek was a, a, a changeup. The ear was nothing. So he'd give. The, I look over there, and my neck got so sore just looking at him. And it was, and I learned nothing. I learned nothing, County. And you know, because every pitch was called. And he said, you know, I know these hitters, so I'm going to take the pressure off you. It didn't help me. So when he left, basically, I had to do it on my own. So it was like learning everything all over again. And you know, fortunately, I got traded to the A's and had some great pitchers, but. You know, it, it takes a toll on a catcher to learn. But, uh, no, I, I agree because that's that's the job of a catcher. And that's why you can never, ever be critical of a catcher. There's only so many Johnny Benches. There's only so many Carlton Fisk and late Thurman Munson because the job of a catcher today is to handle that pitcher, to block balls, put it in your scorebook, catcher's blocks like I have and you know I have, and really recognize the catcher's job as handling the pitching staff because – you can get worn down handling your staff because your starter, your bullpen, knowing the opposing hitters, knowing how you're going to call a game. And so sometimes that affects your offense. You want to hit, but the bottom line is sometimes that you don't. So I'm never critical of a catcher who is not hitting well. I want to see what he can do in handling his pitching staff. I want to see somebody who calls the game and that pitcher never shakes once. That means they're on the same page and the pitcher believes in his catcher that he's calling what he wants to throw. And I think that's important to the success of a pitcher and the success of a team. But the, the other part, whenever all that's done in high school and college, you know, it, it doesn't help at all. And you can't tell me that a, that a coach over on the sidelines in the dugout, it, it's like the, the football where they have this big sheet and you've seen it. You, you work in football, this big <laughs> sheet that shows, you know, the, the uh, you know, third down and, and short, what are you going to go? And you, okay. You send that play in. Well, it's the same thing in baseball. You're not allowing your catcher to know how your pitcher is throwing. You know, and the, the best thing that I had was when a pitching coach or a manager would come to the mound and look me in the eye and say, how's he pitching? And I had to be honest. Or he'd ask me in the dugout, how's he pitching? And I had to be honest because I was trying to win. And if the pitcher was not pitching, I didn't care if he didn't like me or not because he would always say, why'd you do that? You know, I, I felt good. I said, yeah, you bet you, you weren't pitching good. So, you know, you need somebody else, but you had to be honest. But that's how you do it. A manager, pitching coach in a dugout cannot watch at the angle they watch from and determine whether the pitcher is pitching the way that he's supposed to. The catcher can because he's 60 feet, six inches away. 
Hey, Ray, you mentioned that sheet in football. If you look at uh, the Raiders record all the years I uh, worked around the Raiders, uh, that sheet didn't work too well. <laughs> audible, audible, audible. Uh, that, that, that sheet was – by the way, I, I, I want to throw this to you because you know Tim McCarver. We've had him on the program. Love him. I mean, I, all those years, such a great broadcaster, so knowledgeable. Can you imagine, though – and I don't even – I couldn't even tell you who the pitching coach was for the Cardinals back then, even if they had a pitching coach. Can you imagine Tim McCarver <laughs> looking into the dugout, getting no. – getting, pitches and then telling bob gibson what to throw <laughs> are you kidding me bob, give, give, give me about a throw in the dugout <laughs> he's text with a hitter just throw straight to the dugout no 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 that that's just uh, it, it's unheard of no you, you, you know that i mean bob gibson i mean that nasty slider and fastball and that stare looking at you you know forget it you know you're afraid to death if you're nevada's box why would you why would you do that what was it what was it he said to mccarver he said the only thing you know about hitting is that you can't <laughs> or something like that <laughs> or the, the only thing about pitching is you don't know how to hit it or you know something like that but you know he it, wouldn't it's even like caught the guns at the all-star game like ray think about when you went to the all-star game like the national yeah. league guys he wouldn't even talk to his own national league players in the clubhouse yeah. at the all-star game he wouldn't talk because he wanted them to fear him could you imagine that yeah. you're at the all-star game you came to talk to your teammate at the all-star game yeah i i know and, and you know i think of uh when uh Joe Torre was managing Mariano Rivera, and this is the difference in times. Rivera, of course, would make the all-star team, and Joe Torre said, you know, I don't like the fact that he's in the bullpen because all of those pitchers are asking, Mo, how do you throw that cutter? You know, so <laughs> now you've got, you got all these relievers around baseball just gravitating towards Mariano Rivera. And, you know, Mo was so great. He was such a nice guy. He would never say no. But, you know, here's the manager of the Yankees saying, oh, no, he's teaching these guys how to throw that devastating nobody threw it like him in the first place but you know why give him an opportunity but you know Gibson was right and uh you know he played at a time when the all-star game meant something and you wanted to win it wasn't about you know home field advantage for the all-star game it was called pride it's that we want to win because we want to show that the national league is, is superior to the American league or American league superior than the national league and and you know there was a lot of pride in the game at the time yeah, you can go ask Sandy Koufax how to throw that curveball. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to throw it like Sandy Koufax. <laughs> nobody's going to throw it like him. There's absolutely nobody. Although, you know, he, he's taught Clayton Kershaw pretty well how to do it, and uh, different guys have, have at least attempted. And, they, you know, you, when, when Sandy – it's like Charles Schwab. Is it when, when Schwab speaks or whoever that was, people listen. Well, when Sandy talked, they would all listen, but they couldn't perform the way he did. He just had – that 12 to 6 curveball is like Bert Blylow. Same thing. You you can try to teach it, but there's nobody that can match what they're doing. Koufax was just outstanding. Uh, too bad he had a bad elbow, and but, you know, he's where he's supposed to be at Cooperstown. Seriously, one of the greatest stories, I'll never forget when Dave Stewart joined Ken and Vince, you know, talking about Sandy Koufax taught him the forkball, split finger, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it was fork a forkball yeah. at the time, became a split. Uh to have Sandy Koufax teach yeah. Dave Stewart, that, that literally is like, it blows your mind when you, when you think yeah. of greatness from Sandy to Dave. I mean, Dave, I mean, you can make a case. I mean, he's in the A's Hall of Fame. You can make a case for that brief time. He was by far the best in baseball. But that's that's right. just, I mean, that's right. Sandy Koufax to Dave Stewart, I mean, that's just, that's baseball greatness. 
You know, Tony, it's greatness. And I think just the mere fact that Sandy Koufax is invited to Dodger Town in Florida or in Arizona, at Glendale, where they now train, and he's there. He doesn't have to do one thing except walk out on that field. But he's nice enough to help these guys. I think it's tremendous. And they listen. They listen. Sometimes that's difficult in today's world. For, for young players, first of all, they may not know who he is, uh, but they find out very quickly. And, um, you know, did, did you ever hear the story that Dusty Baker did when he was managing uh, the, the Giants, when he'd have various guys come in? And um, I think it was the Giants Cup, somebody, but it was in Arizona. And, you know, the, the players would say, oh, here's Dusty bringing in some other old guy. So he brought in Fergie Jenkins. And without introducing Fergie, he just had a blackboard and chalkboard. And he started putting 20-game winner, da-da-da-da-da-da. And the players say, wow, who is this? Guys, let me introduce you to Fergie Jenkins. And all of a sudden, it changed everything. I mean, he had the back of a baseball card. And, you know, it, it took Dusty having to put that on the board for them to recognize and, and understand who Ferguson Jenkins was and what he accomplished in Major League Baseball. But, you know, there's so much great, great talent. When the A's would have the um, Ecuador old-timers games or whatever games, you know, I'd be in the clubhouse and I was working and broadcasting at the time, and I would simply say, I said, you know, there's Raleigh Fingers over there. You think maybe he could teach you something? Yeah, but I, I said, he's not going to come to you. You go to him. There's Catfish Hunter. There's Vida, Dick Green. These guys can help you talk to them because they're not going to come to you because first of all, they shouldn't, why should they? But you should go to them and introduce yourself and say, I'm so-and-so I'm a relief pitcher. You know, I really enjoyed all the things that you did. What can you do to help me? They will love it. They'll spend as much time as you want, but sometimes it's difficult for guys to do that. But uh, there's so much knowledge in this game that can be passed on. And what you're saying about Colfax, and what he did for Dave Stewart. You know, when Stu came here, he was a journeyman. And, you know, that fork ball, the only pitcher I've ever seen that could put the ball in his glove, take his right hand, and put those the index and, and middle finger over the baseball in the fork ball grip. He didn't have to start out in the grip that you see guys do with the splitter of the fork ball and then make the change in the glove. He didn't have to do that because his fingers were so long. And he was unbelievable. His fork ball just came in. And, you know, that death stare that he had on top of a great fork ball, 20 games, at least he won four consecutive years. I agree with you. I'm glad they're retiring his number here. Hall of Fame with the A's should be in Cooperstown. Uh, Ray, you realize Commander Cody and I have made the case, and Cody, uh, I want you to chime in here. We have literally made the case, if you look at the numbers, Raleigh Fingers is better than Mariano Rivera. If you really look at the numbers and the volume of what he yeah. did when he came in, and I know people be like, you guys are a bunch of A's homers. Cody, we've looked at it. If you actually go by analytics, if we're going to be a data-driven sport, that, no disrespect at all. Mario Rivera came in in the ninth inning. That's what... Raleigh yeah, came it. in, Raleigh came in, and there was a fire going on. <laughs> Raleigh came in, Cody, we looked at it, right? I mean, you can't it's, – it's, it's a great debate. It is, and we looked at it, uh, Foss, by looking at the high leverage situations that Raleigh appeared in opposed to Mariano, how many, how many multiple inning saves he had opposed to Mariano. No, don't, I'm not taking oh, it yeah. away from, oh, yeah. from Mariano Rivera. I mean, in my lifetime, he's the greatest closer I've ever seen, and I've watched Trevor, Trevor Hoffman as well. But what Raleigh was able to do 
coming and pitching multiple innings. There's no one like that in baseball anymore. I, I think the closest guy in modern-day baseball maybe is Josh Hader of the Brewers, and he's yeah. still so young, but he's pitching in such high-level situations, but no one's ever going to do what Raleigh did. And he was a starter no. before. And by the way, Goose Gossage, too. Yeah. yeah. Former A, yeah, right. but, but with That's the Yankees right. and then the Padres. I mean, the Goose was not as good as Raleigh, but he. I, I think we got to put him up there. Yeah, I agree. And Goose is very intimidating. <laughs> you look out there, and he's got that smoke coming out of his nose. It scares the living daylights out of you. <laughs> I mean, right, I mean, you're going, oh my god! And, and when he hit Ron Say, remember that in the, in the World Series, he hit Say with a no no ear flap. I mean, that I, I saw it. I said he's done, and he played the next day, which was great. But no, Goose, Goose. You know, there's a lot of negative things said about him, but he's not afraid to speak his mind. But he was a great pitcher. And you know what, guys, whenever whenever I went back to Cleveland and we're playing the A's and I'd say to them, hey, guys, see that number 34 down the bullpen? If we don't have a lead after six innings, he's in there. If they have a lead, game over. He's going to pitch three. He's not going to come in for the ninth inning. There's no bridge. There's no middle reliever guy. He's going to come in and pitch three. And, and I think, you know, not knowing statistically what you guys are talking about, all I know is that if you take – the, the number of saves that Raleigh amassed over his career, and then you multiply or you decide and look at how many times he pitched more than one inning, and sometimes, like it did in, in, in Dodger Stadium in game one of the World Series in 74, four and a third inning. Came in following Kenny Holtzman. They're good friends. And he came in the fifth inning. Goes four and a third. And, wow. you know, and, and that's incredible. But he had, they, they call it a rubber arm. A rubber arm means that you throw today, you can throw tomorrow, throw the next day, it's no problem. You know, funny story, when, when Sal, Captain Sal playing third base, Raleigh, Raleigh had the demeanor, which is perfect for a closer, and I told him over and over, I'd go out the mound and Dick Williams or Alvin Dark would come out and, you know, Raleigh would come in and bases loaded and Sal would get all nervous. And <laughs> and then Raleigh would say, hey, fat boy, get back to third base. I'll take care of this. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? And you know what? Next thing you know, he's walking off. He said, I told you, there's no problem. You know, but, but that's you have to have no fear. That's why relievers, especially closers, have that that certain uh, certain demeanor about them. Like Mariano, I mean, the nicest guy in the world, but he had a cut fastball nobody could hit. Look at Dan Quisenberry whenever he pitched, God rest his soul. That you know, it just kind of different different style. Goose Gossage, you know, like give me the ball, and, and you know, here's Raleigh with a handlebar mustache painting the outside corner, you know, with with giving you no chance to hit the ball. So I mean. Just a few of those guys, and uh, you know, it's it's amazing how the game has changed. And I think what Raleigh did, and Goose Gossett did, and Bruce Suter, and and on and on guys that pitched multiple innings. You know, there was no there was no need for the bridge, the setup guy. It was hey, you give me six seven innings, we'll go straight to the closer. His name is Raleigh. Oh, okay, you know, you know, and and, and again, Tony Russo started that with the one inning closer and everybody is kind of copied and everybody's doing the same thing. But, you know, Tony, one thing that, that I see in Cody is that let's say a reliever, a closer comes in in the eighth inning in a tough situation, really a tough situation. And he gets out of it. The adrenaline is flowing like crazy. I mean, it's pumped up and he comes in and gets out of it. How many times do you see he goes back to the ninth inning and blows it? Because that same adrenaline is not there because he's starting the inning bases loaded. He came in and essentially the toughest inning, the eighth inning, it'd been almost better to let him get out of the jam and bring somebody else in to finish the game. But a closer would do that. But I, I saw a number of times where the closer would do that and, and just did not have the same success in the ninth inning that he had in the eighth in a crucial situation. But Raleigh, 
I mean, Raleigh was the best. I mean, he, he just, you know, paint the corner and he'd shake me off. I'm going, what are you doing? Don't shake me off. <laughs> and I go tell him, I said, you're not that smart to shake me off. You're coming out of the bullpen. I know what you've been doing down there. You're not paying attention. And I am. So just go with me. And Raleigh said, you're right. And I, he, he shook me off one time and I let him. And that ball is still orbiting the earth. And I still say that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> hey, 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 really? We, we should actually look this up. When is the last time or when even before that, you said he went four and a third to close yeah. out a World Series game? Well, he, he didn't close it. Catfish came in and closed it out with that one-out oh, okay. strikeout of Joe Ferguson. But he didn't close it out. But there were a number of times. I'm sure Cody, you know, his expertise on the computer could see how many times that he, he went multiple innings and closed games, you know, three innings. You know, but in this particular instance, uh, you know, that's why we only used five pitchers in the World Series in 74 that we talked about. You know that. In a five-game series, five pitchers. And That'll you know, never be that will no, never if you have your, no, if you have your closer, we used three in the first game with uh, Holtzman four and a third, Raleigh four and a third, Catfish one third. That's three. And then and then Vida and Blue Moon, and that's it. And, and finished out the next four, and that was it. So, no, it won't happen again. Heck, when you have 13 pitchers. But, you know, if you have nine pitchers on a, on a roster in a 25-man uh, uh, roster, you've got 16 position players, 16 with nine pitchers. You know, and that's with a four-man rotation, five in the bullpen. And so you have four starters, Raleigh, the other guys, here's your check, see you later, here's your ring. <laughs> you know, but they could have pitched, but, you know, it was just something that wasn't done, and they pitched great. But, uh, you know, it's a change game, County. We mustn't ever forget the fact <clears throat> that it's a change game, and we have to kind of go with it. And, uh, you know, it, it, is, it is a change game. But, um, but, but let's but, never forget the past. No, no, we never will. And that's what's great about baseball. There is a tremendous past. And that's something that can never, ever be taken away. And whether or not you want to know the past, which it's a shame if you don't, you know, you shouldn't know it. And just like you talked about going to the Negro Hall of Fame, uh, the museum, uh, Negro Museum in Kansas City, you know, learn as much as you can about the great game of baseball. Because to me, and again, a little biased, no doubt, but it's the greatest game to play. It's the longest as far as the number of games to be played, 162. But you, you have to be on every game to have success. And granted, it's not going to happen. But we're finding out who are the best teams in this shortened 60-game schedule. And I think the A's are right there. And while the fans aren't in the stands, those fans are cheering their team on from a distance, either TV, radio, listening to you, whatever it might be. But uh, they're cheering their, their, their team and hoping to get back in the stands and show them even more next year. Ray, I'm going to give you a number. 509. Do you know what that number means? I, I hate to even think. More than one inning? That's 509 times Raleigh Fingers got three or more outs in a baseball game. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> 509? I mean, yeah. it's crazy. His numbers are crazy, Ray. I, I looked up I looked up modern Please. day. So I looked up, just like I mentioned, Josh Hader. The year he had 37 saves a few years ago, he did it 23 times in that season. Uh, Raleigh did it 509 wow. times in his career. So that just shows you. H- Hater's done it 77 times in his career, and he's still really young. What is that? I think Hater's yeah. like 26. So, I mean, he's he's done a lot, but I don't, no one's ever going to catch Raleigh. And, I, and I'm pulling up Mariano Rivera right now and see how many times he did it. Um, he did Under it. 100. Mariano Rivera did it 200, 200. 241 times. He got three or more outs. Wow, I was awful on that. 
Well, there, there, I, there's a game here I'll never forget with uh, the flip by Jeter. <laughs> that, that was a two inning, two inning save in a playoff game. And, and if uh, if Jeremy slides or is told to slide and slides and he's safe, Mariano doesn't come in the game, but he did. And uh, the rest is history. We're still talking about it all these years later, but uh, but still, I mean, if, if you amass over 600 saves as Mariano did, he has the most, right? And and 200 times he did it more more than three outs, 200 over 200 times. But for Raleigh to do that 500 times, <laughs> and he did, I don't know that he pitched as many years as as Mariano did. But you know, he he was the best I saw, and, and probably the most intimidating, without even taking the mound because of what he meant. And Mariano did the same thing. Eck was the same way, you know, uh, just bringing up those guys. But, you know, being in that other dugout and knowing, you know, with Eckersley, he was the only pitcher that Bill King, Lon Simmons, and I ever started packing up in the ninth inning when he came in. You talk about Mr. Automatic. Dennis Eckersley was automatic. And you never do that for fear of being superstitious and something happening. But it was, it was so, so obvious that it was going to happen. We just said, okay, game over. But, uh, you know, closers, and I still say you can save a game in the seventh inning, eighth inning. Closer comes in, and that's why the great closers will always say, this award would not have been given to me without guys who set it up to get to me and helped me get to the ninth inning, perhaps with nobody on base. You know, Rick Honeycutt, Dennis Eckersley spoke highly about him, saying that, you know, it was Honeycutt who, who, who got out some big outs in games so Eckersley could come in and close it out and get the save statistically for himself in the ninth inning, but, but Rick Honeycutt did a great job and uh, you, you can't take that away. And it's nice, nice of guys to recognize those pitchers. Just like the great Gaylord Perry and the late catfish Hunter did to me as starters when they said it and won the signing awards, you know, that, it's just something that you don't expect, but you know, not surprising the class acts of those guys that when it happened, um, all said and done, not surprised. Ray, do you realize how bored we are? As baseball people, we were supposed to be off almost 25 minutes ago. And we just, I mean, we, we, we've got nothing to do, right? It's like, right. What is Ray Fossey? I mean, you got no baseball to call. What are you doing, right? Uh, well, first of all, I found out how long podcasts are, right, Cody? Because <laughs> I did a, pod, did a pod, podcast with Alex Jensen today. And, you know, normally you and I are on for 30 minutes. I looked at my watch, it's an hour, and I went, oops. I got still going with Tony, and now you're going beyond. So no, it's and listen, it's baseball. There's always something to talk about in baseball, you know. But but no, it, it's been very boring. And you know, to have the four months off, and then to start playing regular games, and you know, playing with an off day here or there. I think there were six scheduled in the sixty games or sixty uh, game schedule, you know. And then all of a sudden, you have this extended time off. It's 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 worse than Groundhog Day because now you can see other teams that are playing. And you know that something – I just saw a headline, and Bob Melvin said – and, again, you could probably explain more than I, but I just read a headline where Bob Melvin said, we followed the protocol. So I don't know what happened with the one, but it shut down. It really shut it down. And so now I have to make up those games and play double headers. And I'll be honest with you, Tony, I'll play a nine-inning game anytime instead of seven in a double header. <laughs> I'm not even going to ask <laughs> you about that. Uh, I'll I, end on this. Runner on first, Gaylord Perry on the mound, guy stealing. What's going through your mind about the baseball in your hand? I call the pitch, which is his pitch. I don't care how I get it and how I throw it. I don't care. Because 
yeah, whenever he went to Texas, he's pitching for the Rangers at the old park, which is the double A uh, when, when he was with the Rangers. And I was with Cleveland or the A's at the time. And he's yelling across the diamond. He won't call it. He's yelling all the way from the first base dugout to the third base dugout. Hey, partner, he won't call it. I said, what? He said, and it's just what you're saying. Afraid, the catcher was afraid that if he got the wrong side of the baseball, the ball ended up center field or whatever, and it's going to be an error. You know, I saw Greg Nettles play third base, and he, if he got a ground ball hard hit and he had plenty of time, he'd spin the baseball around because he knew where it was. And he'd spin it around to get the dry side because <laughs> he, he didn't want to throw it in the stands. But, you know, when, when, a, when a runner would take off from first base, you don't have time. And, and the last thing I would do is take away uh, a pitch that was going to help my pitcher to help me throw out a base run if he's running, you know. And you just hope and pray you get the dry side or squeeze it tightly, man. Let it go. Did, Let it fly. Did you, did you feel it? Like when it would, like, release from your hands, would you feel it? Of course. I mean, it was there. I mean, I knew where it was, and but but you can't when a guy's stealing. Yeah. You, 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 the ball the ball is in the glove. You put your hand and you get the ball, and you you're hoping for a four seam grip to make it straight. But you don't know what you're getting, and definitely you could feel it uh, because you know baseballs are baseballs are rubbed up. And uh, but you know it, it was it was such a fun summer that year in '72. Oh, to to listen to hitters come up and talk and complain and say it oh, all they sell it in their minds and i'm going okay yeah you're right they're, they're just they're just in their minds they're thinking about it but man it was so much fun but no that's that's the last thing i thought about and you know what tiny too along that same line let, let's say a, a good base dealer gets on a first base you know you know a matter of fact sandy alomar jr told me that you know and again i'm not talking out of school and if i am you know it's just part of the game but but, but he said that when Pudge Rodriguez was catching and he was catching for the Cleveland Indians, he would tell his guys, he said, if you get on first as a base stealer, as a hitter, you look fastball. Because if a catcher calls a lot of fastballs to get a good pitch to throw, it helps the hitter. And maybe the catcher doesn't have a chance to throw out the base runner because it's going to be a fastball. And if a hitter's looking for it, and that's why if you're pitcher, if, you're, if you want to throw a breaking pitch, and you get a guy first base you think is going to run, and you go to a fastball instead of that, you're hurting everybody. And, you know, you'd rather try to get the out. And, you know, even if he's still second, you still have a chance with somebody as good as Gaylord Perry was to get him out even at second base. So, you know, you never want to take away from your pitcher's strength to help yourself as, as a catcher selfishly to make yourself look better. And, and you know, players pick those things up. And I think in the case of Sandy Alomar Jr., he picked that up when they played the Rangers. And, and I'm sure there were instances where uh, the, the Indians made out uh, as a team because they knew what to look for in those certain situations. Ray, I miss you. And we'll talk on we'll Friday. See we'll see you soon, buddy. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. It's all good. And we're going to be back to normal. And, you know, but, you know, again, what you and Commander Cody are doing is exceptional. And uh, can't thank you enough for on behalf of the fans and all of baseball in the Bay Area. You're doing a great job. Don't ever change a thing, and I know you won't. You are the best, my friend. Take care. Talk to you soon, buddy. Take care, Cody. See you, Foss. The great Ray Fossey. I know we're way over here, but I'm going to add well, one. Well, we're way over. We were supposed to be off like a half hour ago. I just miss him. 
I really do. I mean, like, Bossy is, you know, for both of us, he means a lot to us personally. I mean, not only what he means to the fan base. I mean, Ray is the person that essentially, and I've seen this in multiple arenas where he essentially brings the old school to the new school. He's Ray Fossey. He means so much to our organization, and I miss him. I mean, like, literally, we were supposed to be done like a half hour ago. But I love talking to him. Yeah, and he was good. I'm glad we got to talk about the – I always love doing the Raleigh, Mariano, Josh Hader thing because that that always interests me, intrigues me about the multiple innings and how – Mariano was great, but, he, I mean, only two – what I say was like 240 times or whatever he did it, not three or more outs. We, we would get roasted if we, like, like, like brought this to, like, MLB Now and Brian Kenny. They would roast us because they're all East Coast guys. But if we really brought the numbers to say, Raleigh Fingers is better than Mariano Rivera, the guy who got 100% the vote for the Hall of Fame, they would roast us. Oh, no doubt. There'd be no but I, doubt about but it. I think our, we, we have an argument. Whether we would win or not, we do have an argument. He's better than Trevor Hoffman. He's better. And Goose is, and, and Goose is in his category. He's not as good. Goose is not as good as Raleigh. But Goose has a lot of three-inning type, like, volume. We're talking about volume now, which now I think means more than ever. So we got to give love to Goose, but he's not Raleigh. But Goose would, Goose would be on the Raleigh train, right? Oh yeah, no, there's like no doubt Goose about would it. Be following. Yeah, I, I mean, I there's would. a reason why these guys are in the Hall of Fame. I mean, they're 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 great. But you can't tell me that. I I I, I know it sounds. Ho- I mean, people are gonna be like, "You guys are morons, Marion Rivera." But you start looking at like Raleigh and Goose Gossage. These guys' numbers and their volume is so much greater than Mariano and Trevor Hoffman, who, I mean, they're both Hall of Famers. So, I mean, yeah, Goose. split hairs, but you're just talking about a different era, and it's a different res- it's a different responsibility that those guys had, and it actually was a great – I think this is the best way to put it. It was a greater responsibility back then than just saying, warm up in the ninth, we play your music, everybody gets fired up, and you come out and close it out. I, there's no music when you're coming in in the seventh inning. No. And what, what we need to, what, the one thing we need to say, too, is the, the three or more outs, I mean, you can be pitching in any inning. That's not always the same. Just saying that a guy that is known predominantly as a closer got it 509 times, he got three or more outs, is impressive. I just looked up Goose Gossage. 531 times in his career he went three or more outs. <laughs> so I'm saying these two guys, like, you got it. We don't give them the love they deserve. Bo- and, by the way, both friends of the program. Correct. And to think that you could say their volume really could be measured and make them better than Marion Rivera and he got one percent he got one hundred percent of the vote. What does that tell you? Yeah, and, and like I said, I I Marion is the greatest closer I've seen in my lifetime because I didn't see Raleigh and Goose was up was towards the end of his career when I was born. So I didn't get to see those guys pitch. I saw Hoffman, Rivera, a little bit of John Franco. You know, guys like that, and the modern day guys. I mean, I mean, who's really in a, who's elite? Like ten year club. I mean, Craig Kimbrell was one, but he's really not anymore. 
Can you imagine if you had Raleigh Fingers or Goose Gossage numbers today? Now, obviously, they wouldn't be used that way. But if you had those numbers today, if you had a reliever coming in going four and a third in a World Series game, like – that wasn't a starting pitcher, no offense to Charlie Morton or Anibal I mean, Sanchez seriously. or whoever did it last year for the for the Nationals. Yeah, an actual mean, reliever, a, a guy like a a guy like a Joaquim Soria or a guy like a Emilio Pagan. Like I'm thinking of guys that are elite setup guys. So let's say the A's are in the World Series and you bring in Liam Hendricks and he pitches seven, eight, nine. That that's not happening. No, not today. But that's what that was like back in the day. You're bringing in Raleigh, who, by the way, Raleigh, all he did in the offseason was swim. <laughs> I I actually, it was, what fan fest was it? It was uh, two, three years ago. Fan fest, Jack London. I actually got to hang out with Raleigh a little bit, and I was, you know, Raleigh's an interesting guy, and I just kind of, you know, chit chat and asked him about it. Cause I knew I'd read about it. Raleigh fingers never lifted a weight. Raleigh fingers swam in the off season. That's what he would do. That's all he would do. Pretty amazing. When you think about his volume and innings, cause he was originally a starter, obviously. And, uh, cause we had, we had him on the program when I asked him the question about, Hey, you remember you threw a complete game in spring training when it was the Kansas City Athletics, like people would get fired now over that. He threw a complete, they allowed him to throw a complete game in spring training. Like what? I mean, the game was different, but I mean, that's, I mean, the, the guy is so special. Raleigh, forget the mustache. Raleigh is truly one of the great pitchers to have ever lived. And that's not a homerish. I mean, look at the numbers. If you look at the number, and we've challenged like Himbo from ESPN, and I'd love, I would love Brian Kent. Brian, you want to get into real, go look at Raleigh versus everybody else and tell me. And now, I mean, and Goose is right there too. Yeah, they're both great. And, and one of my favorite lines I've ever heard about Raleigh was when we had Ricky, or when we had Reggie Jackson on, and Reggie said, when Raleigh came in the game, you, got, you grabbed your coat and your, your coat and your hat, and you knew it was time to go home because you knew the game was over. I remember he saying that when about the World Series against the Mets. He knew as soon as Raleigh came in, you grab your coat and your hat, and the game's over. See you tomorrow. That's you don't. How many how many guys in baseball do you hear about that now? Liam's on that level right now. Now he was the AL reliever of the month, well, AL reliever of the first half of the season essentially. And I mean, how many other guys? Kenley Jansen's not a lead anymore. I hate to say it, but he it's year to year. Yeah, you're not seeing guys consistently be locked on closers anymore. It's it's not like the days when we saw. K Rod and and Mariano Rivera and these guys, Jonathan Papelbon. It's more so. It's like you want to go old school. Your boy Bobby Thigpen. Okay, there you go, John Franco. On the south side. There's been so many guys that have been. Randy Myers. I mean, how many different closers did the A's have in the early 2000s? Billy Koch, oh. Keith Folk, Jason well, Hendrickson, Taylor back. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> All right, so we're back tomorrow from what, 3 to 4? Yeah, we're going to have the great Ken Korak back with us again tomorrow. All right. And uh, we're going to have Bob Melvin tomorrow? Or are we going to save that for Friday? Whatever you want to do. We can do it tomorrow or save it for Friday. So the great Bob Melvin's going to join us. Uh, Friday we're going to be on from what, 3 to 5.30? Yes. 
And we're going to have David Forrest. David Forrest, Scott Hatterberg, uh, Mark Ellis, and I'm working on oh, Tony Gwynn Jr. Because we're playing the Padres. I don't want to use Ted Lighter. Ted Lighter's Padres. Yeah, we, we had Ted on last we week. We might have to bring my brother on. I'm okay. You might that. have to have a family bet. <laughs> my brother's Padres against my A's. We might have to have a – it's like a pie shop. Someone mentioned this on Twitter. It's like the San Diego chicken pie shop versus the Walnut Creek pie shop. We might have to have a bet. Yeah, and then uh, I'm working on hopefully one of the guys that we – I'm trying to get confirmation on who's calling the game nationally for Fox when the A's and Padres play on Saturday. So we're working on that. But we have a lot of stuff th- coming down the pipeline, and then you have a lot of doubleheaders coming up as well starting next – the first one's next Tuesday against Houston. Yeah. We're going to have a lot of double dips, baby. All right, everybody, be safe, be well, and we'll see you tomorrow right here. A's Cast Live at 3 o'clock. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.